everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. another episode of we're not wizards my name's richard i'll be your host for july (laughs) now i've got to think carefully about this not only i want to pace myself and i'll tell you why because sometimes if you rush into something you want to use up all your energy and sometimes it just you know if you use up all your energy then you're going to end up crashing at some point you're going to end up dozing falling asleep. I don't want to be the type of person that wants to doze or fall asleep. I've set up these counters on the table. I've got my meeples in front of me. My game board is here. I'm willing to keep playing until six o'clock in the morning, but in order to do that, I need to get some help. I need to help somebody who's not, who's going to help me to game all night. So... There's only one person I can do to do that. That is Chris Whitpan. He is here. He's going to tell me. He's going to drop knowledge. He's going to drop knowledge on us about caffeine, potentially illegal drugs. <laughs> we have no idea. <laughs> you know, this could turn out into the top 10 of crack cocaine. We have no idea where this is going. But <laughs> hey, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, Richard. I was wondering where you were going to go with that. And, uh, you know, you, you didn't disappoint but. <laughs> I, I kind of, I kind of crashed and burned, and I think I might have to potentially bleep out the drug reference because we don't want to annoy the other people that are going. But there's other drugs out there, and you wouldn't necessarily sure. want to use. You wouldn't necessarily want to use that to stay awake. That in fact, that's going to send you to sleep, which just mm-hmm. goes to show my kind of my my drug knowledge. Caffeine and nicotine. Um, I tell you, that's it. <laughs> I I think um, somebody once told me that the best thing. The freakiest thing that you can ever do is go to bed with several nicotine patches on you and it is like <laughs> entering into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory <laughs> the types well, I, of dreams that you're I, having. I do not think I need to try that. That that sounds kind of awful. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, yeah, apparently it's a thing, um, that, you know, that the young kids are doing. Um, I can't substantiate that. I've just made it up in the last five minutes, but, you know, we'll see how we go. Um, <clears throat> thank you're you for joining us. Some, you're talking to somebody whose parents used to look at him cross-eyed when I'd inhale a helium balloon. So, <laughs> Did you have a funny voice when you did that, though? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I have a funny voice when I don't either, so it's I, fine either way. I was just wondering what the balloon that was next to you was for. I didn't want to question it, you know, kind of thing. Oh. Um, it's one of these one of these things. Um, I guess we should do the admin bit because admin's important. <laughs> the administration is what keeps us together. Bathroom's um, over there. Take a break if you need exactly, it. Get up exactly. and walk around. Okay. The exits are here, here, and here. And in the event that none of the jokes that I say are funny, then um, 
oxygen masks with helium in them will fall from the ceiling. So at least you can all laugh like a good man. <laughs> you have um, to bring it yourself, really. Pretty much. It's just like, you know, if I'm not funny, you have to just bear with me until we get back into the funny again. Um, but the reason that we do this is because we've reached 300 episodes. And obviously you can tell I've had too much to drink. <laughs> um, not of alcohol, but of various coloured refreshments today. I had one of those multicoloured ice lollies that you get. Okay. And it was a fruit one, and I'm pretty sure that there is no natural juice in nature, which is bright blue. <laughs> it's the least occurring color in nature, period, as far as food goes. So you're probably right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's some kind of illegality going on. It did taste fantastic, and I'm quite happy that all these lovely imaginary animals are standing next to me. Uh, the, the <laughs> they look lovely. They, they, they are very, very cuddly. Um, one of the things we like to do is we like to find out about the history. We're going to take this back serious because we need to. Um, but one of the things we like to do is we like to find out a little bit about how you got involved in the hobby in the first place. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your history with regards to the pressed and printed trees? Well, you know, it started, I mean, when I was a kid, I loved mm -hmm. board games. You know, it was something I got for Christmas every year, mm -hmm. always had them. I mean, I remember having, oh, like the crazy big plastic ones, right? Stop Thief, Bargain Hunter. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd ask my parents to buy me all these games. And then, of course, I'd have no one to play them with. So most of them just gathered dust. But I still had them and it was a blast. And then later on in life, I started like being the guy who always had the party games laying around, yeah. you know, like okay. taboos, categories, things mm -hmm. like that, like constantly playing them. Still love, you know, getting people together and, you know, playing a big party game and things like that. Uh, fast forward a few more years, probably around 2012, I'm just kind of, I forget, I think it was Big Bang Theory had Will Wheaton on and I'm like, what the heck is he up to? And I mm -hmm. stumbled on Tabletop, like episode three. Wow. So it's like right at the beginning. And then all of a sudden I'm like, there, wait, there, there's, there's these games and it just kind of like, kind of stuck. And then next thing you know, I'm having like guys game days over at the house and, okay. you know, trying to get like seven people together to play like, you know, Munchkin, like worst idea <laughs> ever, uh, huge Carcassonne games, things like that. And then it just kind of blew up and, uh, Really fell in love with the hobby. And next thing you know, I'm going to game clubs mm -hmm. um, and playing things like I think one of the first like games outside of the the tabletop envelope was probably Sulkin actually with the gears. I remember buying wow. that and just oh, I fell in love with it. Uh, and it's where I first ran into board game media because I bought it and then I could not figure it out. So Rado had to show me how to do it, and uh, you know. Just a slippery slope ever since. And now, you know, we, we sit and we have that room full of the big shelves and full of all these games. And I'm sitting there going, I need to start paring this down a little bit. It's getting out of hand. So were you were you an only child then? Was it just you kind of growing up? Well, if you ask my therapist, they'll say yes. Um, if you ask my brothers and sisters, they'll say no. Um, <laughs> so... I kind of have that that lovely thing where my parents um, 
my all my siblings are you know one and a half year to two years apart, two years apart, uh, two years uh-huh. apart, and then comes along Chris six years later. Um, so the best mistake my mother ever made, if you asked her. Um, <laughs> but what that did was basically I was I was left on my own, um, you know, just kind of hanging out and having to play by myself. So. Yeah, for all intents and purposes, I kind of am, but I still have to buy a lot of Christmas presents. I didn't think we were going to get to the kind of the sad, emotional part of the podcast, <laughs> kind of so, kind of so, kind of early on. Look, I, it was the same in a family setup. There was, um, there's eighteen months between me and my younger brother, and then there's eight years. Um, yeah, I think there's eight years between me and my youngest kind of brother. Right. So yeah, I mean, he was. The annoying one that came into the room when he was a toddler while I was trying to play Star Wars with my younger brother kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I kind of know kind of where they're, where they're kind of coming from. Did you, did you go to college then? Did you follow the kind of the normal kind of natural kind of college, get a job, do something completely different from what you went to college for? So, no, not at all, actually. Um I ended up, my parents wanted me to go to college and uh-huh. I couldn't figure it out. Like I went to college prep and I'm like, I just don't want to go to college if I have no idea what I want to do. Uh-huh. So I did the, I'm going to take some time off. And I kind of ended up finding that I like to cook a lot. So, All right. so I ended up going to culinary schools a couple of years later uh-huh. um, and graduated that and pretty much have used my degree consistently for my entire adult life, aside from a little time I spent doing some graphic design work and things. But for the most part, yeah, it's been all that. And I'm now a corporate chef. So kind of, uh, yeah, I'm one of those rare cases. I use what I went to school for. So are you you the guy, are you still getting your hands I guess someone's going to see your hands dirty, but obviously you have to make sure that your your hands are clean because <laughs> hygiene, hygiene in a culinary kind of environment is important. But do you still get the chance to kind of to cook? Did you go in at a? Were you going in at quite a high kind of what you would say artistically kind of cordon bleu level? Or are you the type of guy that says we got to feed four hundred people here in the next three hours? We need to put kind of something together. Yeah, it's funny. I'm kind of right smack in the middle. Um, If you would have asked me early on, I would have said I was going high end, um, which is what I spent most of the 90s doing was like high end culinary French and French provincial food and stuff Uh like that. Um, And then I kind of took a break and started just running the restaurant. Um, and I, so I've run a bunch of restaurants, bars, pubs, whatever. Uh Uh, and then I just kind of stumbled into this current gig that I have where I actually am developing menu items. I'm training, so I'm helping open new restaurants and I'm also getting to do video and training material work. So it's kind of combining everything I love. It's very, very interesting that way. Do you have a favorite do you have like a favorite food that you cook then? I mean, are you an Italian? Do you like your Italian stuff or you, you know, your French kind of fusion mm-hmm. nonsense and everything like that? Is there a particular thing where you say, if I can cook anything, giving me any ingredients, you'd sit down and say, I want to cook this because I enjoy, I enjoy the process of actually kind of making it. I kind of, I would have to say probably like, French country or northern mm. Italian because they actually are very close, right? I mean, they're really, the mm. borders are very close and their food styles are very earthy and big. And, you know, I love the 
you know, rosemary and the lavender. So I think there's a lot of uh, cool stuff in there to play with, you know, and simple food. Like I don't like to go crazy. I just like a good, simple food seasoned well and cooked right. You know, let the food come out. That's always been my theory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're likely to more likely to have, I just want something kind of well seasoned, seasoned and quite hearty. I don't want to get three quarters of the way through something and think, you know what, I hope this isn't the starter. Because yeah. otherwise I'm going to end up kind of really, 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 really hungry. <laughs> do you do a lot of cooking at home then? I do all the cooking at home. So my wife, she she got lucky. She does. Mm. <laughs> she lets me cook. So I end up cooking probably three to four nights a week. And then, but she does an awesome job. She like cleans. She'll do the shopping with me. Mm. So we share the duties. But it's, uh, yeah, I still... I love it, like day to day, and I like exploring different ways to cook. Like I'm doing the sous vide thing right now, and mm-hmm. I'm just loving the journey that that's put me on. That's pretty interesting stuff. So what's that? So sous vide is basically you take a what's called a circulator, which is like a giant fish tank heater. Mm-hmm. Uh, you put it in a bucket of water, and you vacuum pack your food, and you cook it in the water. Uh, wow. So what it does is it holds it at a specific temperature the whole time. Mm-hmm. So that it will never overcook the meat, but it still allows things to break down. And, you know, it's a very interesting way to cook because you, if you want a medium rare steak, you just do that. And then you quick throw it in a pan, sear it up, and it's good to go. Mm. It'll be perfect every time. Have you, um, with you being involved in the kind of the food spaces, have you seen an increase in kind of like, you know, veganism and... You know, allergies and stuff like that, intolerances. I mean, have you seen, has that become something that becomes, gets spoken about an awful lot more when you're considering a menu that you can't just say, okay, guys, we're going to have, you know, for the next kind of six months mm-hmm. rotation, we're going to be entering into our autumn winter menu, which means we're going to have these three, four different types of soups for the starters. Are you now having to say, well, guys, okay, we need to take into account potentially some of the customers that we've got coming in are going to be vegan. Potentially some of the customers are going to have intolerances and, and allergies. And have, have you seen, have you seen that kind of space change in, you know, in your journey, in your career? Oh, into in an incredible amount. So it's really, it used to just be about like make the food and make something different and special, mm-hmm. right? Like that was pretty much the mantra we started with. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in the 2000s, you know, the allergy thing started to creep in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, started like our, give you an example. Our food safety exams used to be all about temperatures, times, and yeah. storage, right? Like that's what it used to be back when, when I started. Now it's a lot more about allergens, ingredients, cross-contamination, and all these issues that are starting to come out of a lot of these known allergies. And I'd say the allergies have always been there, um, but I think that, you know, we're really a lot more acutely aware of what they are. So I think instead of building immunities and things like that, um, we kind of nurse them and deal with them a lot more. So it absolutely factored in. And then the diet trends um, is really what I'd throw all the other things under because, you know, sure, somebody with celiacs, you know, needs to not have gluten. They're not just avoiding it, right? Yeah, Um, that's me. (laughs) Right. So that's fair. But, you know, it's also coincides with a diet trend. So the important thing is, is 
trying to say yes to as many people as possible. So if I don't need to put gluten in a thing or if I'm just doing it because I want to be all chefy and stuff, can I eliminate that and replace it with something else that allows that item to open up to more people? Um, And then the same thing goes with vegetarian, right? It's pretty simple to make something vegetarian, but can we take that next step and actually make it vegan now? You know, why do we need to have butter in that recipe? Yeah. Or do we need to have honey? No, I could probably do without it and find a reasonable substitute and then now it's vegan. So, you know, it really... When man, the check boxes you go through when you start to add menu items to a national chain is pretty incredible, and it's pretty crazy. It's an interesting paradigm to work in. Yeah, uh, does it, I mean it's is almost like a kind of a resource management type worker placement type, <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind it's of deck certain- building type game. <laughs> it certainly is. Um, I don't know if I can make a fun game out of it. Um, you know, as somebody who likes spreadsheet games, I don't love spending my day in a spreadsheet because, well, frankly, they're they're more checklists than they are spreadsheets. There's very, you know, you do some math when you write a recipe for cost, but other than that, they end up being checklists. So I don't enjoy that part. <laughs> I enjoy crossing things off, but ugh, no. Would you, when you get close to kind of retirement? Because obviously you're you're a young man and there's years ahead of you. Thank you. Um, are you? Would you like to kind of while out your last years just running a a quaint little restaurant where you're in the back, kind of whistling away, making kind of like a changing the menu every week to <laughs> something that you kind of fancy, you know? You know, there's something to be said for that. It's uh, the hard part about restaurants is. You know, I think a lot of people outside of the U.S. really get just how hard it is because I think, you know, restaurants are a little easier to work in when they're Mm -hmm. not working for tips and things like that. So I think a lot more people try restaurants in other countries than they do here. Um, But I think I'm just I get tired of working when everybody else is playing. Um, you know, I had to work New Year's Eve on 99 to 2000, you know, and I got paid handsomely, but still, you know, you're not, you're, you're playing, you know, you're playing on the weekends, you're you're playing in the evenings and it's, uh, it gets old after a long time. I'm not going to lie. Is, is it in your nature then as kind of, as almost like somebody who's providing the entertainment? Because so far you've mentioned to me that... You're kind of like the type of guy who is always having the kind of the party games. Mm-hmm. So kind of being bringing the food to the table, are you, have you naturally always kind of been the guy that's kind of brought the kind of the entertainment to the table as well in some respects? Richard, I love being the host. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be your host. Um, it's it's something that I've always enjoyed, like hosting the parties. Uh-huh. Uh it, when we bought our, our current home, you know, how many people can we fit in here? How many, how big of a party can we have was literally a thought when we purchased our house. Like, is it suitable for large groups and large parties? On a side note, it is. I have a con for 50 people in my house every year for my birthday. So wow. we, we did choose right. Um, but I know I love being the host. I love you know, not being the center of attention, but I like surprising people, uh-huh. uh, providing people some fun, 
If somebody's not having fun, it usually drives me nuts. You know, those kind of things. Is that right, kind of like reflected now in the kind of the games that you play and the kind of the games that you pick? Are you more likely to... Are you the type of person who would pick a game knowing that other people would enjoy it as opposed to you picking a game because you know you would enjoy it? Absolutely. When I started buying, that was 100%. Like I Mm. would buy games just like, okay, who am I going to play this with and will they Mm. enjoy it? Um, I since got over that because I think there reaches a point where you could buy so many darn games trying to appease everybody um, and then you wind up with you know maybe some stuff you like or you wind up with a lot of stuff that nobody plays mm-hmm. um, so I kind of ended up with a lot of games that nobody was playing and I kind of realized you know I need to buy the ones that I want to play and maybe somebody else will play them with me and kind of let them fend for themselves a little bit if they want to buy a game let them buy a game and be willing to play it but I really used to be that way. I used to be very big on, I got to have a game for every situation. You know, the whole, you know, the the board game sommelier kind of thing, right? Like, Mm. I got to be able to bring something for anybody who walks through my door. I figure I can hit probably 90% of people and, you know, I don't need to have 700 games to do that. (laughs) Do Do you have quite a curated collection then? I mean, do you kind of keep it under a particular kind of level? You get to the point where you say, like, well, this is a one-in, one-out kind of situation. I need to get rid of some games here. I'm at the tipping point. I'm not Dan Hughes tipped yet. I'm not ready to give up three-quarters of the games I have um, because I have a lot of sentimentality attached to some of the ones I have. Like, I'll never get rid of Zularetto or Aquaretto because somebody bought them for me. Mm -hmm. And it was such a thoughtful and well-done gift that I'm like, "I, I can't get rid of that. And I like the game, so... Yeah, it's going to stay around forever, ever, even if I haven't played it in two years. So I'm at that tipping point where, you know, I have a week off work right now and I'm about ready to start going through and asking my wife and start doing the, all right, what games are we protecting and what are we getting rid of? Yeah, it's kind of a, it's a strange balance because like I sold probably the best part of maybe, it must have been about seven or eight games, wow. yeah. but um, and there was games like The Godfather was on mm-hmm. there. Now, I played The Godfather. I played The Godfather a good number of times, and I had an excellent time with The Godfather. But it sat, it sat there. It sat there for like eight months. Yeah, nine months. And I'm just wondering, do is it worth? Is it, should I now be passing this on to something else so they can get the pleasure out of it? Because I know it's one of these things. that's like, um. There's certain games you know if you put them up for sale, then somebody's going to snap them up straight away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. You know when I put up the God, when I put up Godfather, I also put up Spectre Ops. Spectre Ops is a game that everybody raves and says is amazing. I've never sat down and played it, so it sat on a shelf and I never played it. So I put I listed the Godfather, Spectre Ops, um, you know a few other games, and it was the fear that I knew as soon as I listed them, somebody was going to come along and just kind of like snap <laughs> them up, but. <laughs> The other thing that I did was pretty much for all of the boxes that I had space, I put in a couple of extra games yeah. that the person didn't ask for because <laughs> I, I picked them off off the shelf and I went, have I played them? Yes. Have I had fun with them? Yes. Am I likely to play them again? 
maybe no, not unless I right. really, really kind of love them. So I just stuck them in the box. There was a couple of people that, you know, they opened up their purchases from <laughs> me and they had a couple of kind of extra games that I, I probably, I had reached my terms of enjoyment. And I see it quite a lot. I mean, Dan talks about obviously culling his cock. Culling right. his collection, he really culled his collection. He got it down to zero. But I think I'm at the point now myself where I'm kind of like, do I need to have these for the sake of having them? And what is the point in having something for the sake of having it if I'm not getting it to the table? Kind of often enough, which is, you know, where we are, Richard. We're at that point where remember back when we bought CDs and we bought mm. those, and right, we're at the point where. We used to have them out on display, yeah. and I think we're at the point where we would now buy that 200 CD binder and start mm. to move them in, right? Like, yeah. okay, I, I don't need to have these big things out on display. I don't need to show everybody my 300 CDs that are alphabetized because I'm a nut job. Um, you know, all that stuff. Board games don't have a way to do that. Even DVDs. I have I have probably 400 DVDs sitting behind a wall here in my theater that's, you know, they're in books because I didn't want to store the cases anymore. So you can slim down even a big collection and make it say, well, it's not taking up that much space. It's not a big deal. But then when we go into our board game rooms or we look at the shelf that we have them on and they're taking up these huge amounts of space and I think it becomes a little harder to pare that down. I think the other ones we would condense if we could. And maybe we do that with some like little games, right? Like I have some of those cases for smaller hmm. games, but the bigger ones, it's like, no, I just, it, we have to make a little bit harder decision that I don't think we're ready to make. It's the acquisition guilt as well. I mean, let's face it. If I took my, and I have got all my CDs, but I've also, I've got them on this. I've got yeah. them on my phone. Yeah. You know, on occasion I'll be like, oh, I haven't listened to, you know, the Gin Blossoms new miserable experience for like goodness knows how long. And I'll put that on Spotify <laughs> and I'll prop up or I'll stick, you know, Temple of the Dog on or Soundgarden or something from my 90s when I had, you know, I had hair and it was longer. Um and it's even the same with video games. I mean, video games, they can all be digital. And my film collection, while it's kind of there on Blu-ray, I'm more likely just to purchase it through kind yeah. of Amazon or my PlayStation. So it's there. So I don't, I know I have a huge collection of PlayStation 4 games, but you wouldn't be able to tell until right. you switched on my PlayStation 4. So I'm able, my acquisition guilt is almost hidden. Because until you actually start going through my PlayStation, you will not know that I have probably about a good part of 200 games kind of sitting there ready to play. (laughs) If you open my cupboard in a board game collection, you'll see straight away. It's like, you're not saying somebody there's a problem. You're saying, well, there's somebody who's definitely got three or four shelves, which are double spaced. And it's all pretty full. And things, those shelves are bending. An awful lot. So I think there's the, there's kind of that as well. I think, you know, it's it's kind of it's fear of missing out. And there's a lot of is it collection for the sake of collecting it, and then rather than people collecting stuff because you know they're going to enjoy it. I think you know? I think for me, a lot of what makes me want to get a new game is usually going to be a theme. Um, you know, that, that really grabs me, like something I think is going to be awesome and amazing 
or is it something that does something completely new um, mm. and and exciting? And I'm like, well, I love what I got to feel the first time I played, you know, Sulkin. So, you know, any game that can kind of take that and work on it and advance it is going to instantly grab my interest. Anybody who uses that time resource in a very cool way. Mm. So I think it it's not it's not so much FOMO. I think that play that's playing a small part. And I think that's more of a Kickstarter thing, right? Like if I, if I don't get all the extra bits, my game's not going to be as good as everybody else's. But I think it's, you know, I, I want that same new game smell over and over. And I want that, that feeling of discovery over and over again for me. Now, some people love the deep dive game, and that's a completely different kind of love. But for me, and being in the purchasing forefront, it's more about chasing the next great feel that you know you get from a new game. Yeah, I know there's guys in my group who are just like, can we just not play the same game three or four weeks in a row? Right. Just so we can understand it. It's kind of like board games in some ways are more difficult or more terrible than video games because at least in a video game you'll sit down you'll pile 25 hours into it. I know people who time and apples being apples have sunk four hours into a board game. And they're <laughs> done. Never, <laughs> and that's it. And it's maybe another six months and they say well actually it was okay but I'm not going to play it again so I might as well kind of get rid of it. Um, is there anything you've got to the table yourself that is kind of, you've been really kind of enjoying? Of um, there, there have been two that I've really loved. Um, the Teotihuacan has yes. been, I've been loving that because it did exactly what I said, right? It took the Sulkin thing um, and just kind of made it a little streamlined. Like it, it's like the uh, the designers took what they learned from Sulkin, Marco Polo, mm. and they mm. really kind of honed it and made this hybrid that that I love. And it's quick to get out. And it's not as hard to explain as Sulkin, right? Because Sulkin, you need somebody to go, oh, I I, I ha- can't retrieve and I'm only going to get two corner. You know, you need to fail a couple times to get it where yeah. with Teo, you don't need to. Um, that's been huge. Um, Great Western Trail still comes out constantly. I, I really like that game. Um, you know, it's not new. It's not super exciting, but. Man, I love the hand management and playing the different strategies, and that comes out a lot. And then I think I'd round it off with uh, the newest one, which would be Gentes. Um, I like where where that makes my my headspace go, and trying to second guess people and figure out what they're going to do because I might be able to do it cheaper if they do it, but it's going to mm. cost me. You know, I like games that have multiple paths to optimization, but good setup randomness like i need that to kind of shake up the gameplay and get it out a few more times to keep trying it yeah it's different strategies and things like that as well i kind of i i want you know otherwise it's like there's no point in kind of going back um gent is a tasty minstrel isn't it because he is that the kind of the re i think it's the reprint yeah it's a spielworks yeah yeah made it and then tasty minstrel re i Went in deluxified on it, and wow. uh, yeah, every I don't do it every time. Um, I bought like Orleon. I had I literally had shipped over um, hmm. because I couldn't wait for it because I loved it. Um, but 
this one I definitely like I had to because I saw Rado's run through of it and I'm like, oh, it pushes all the buttons I like. So I need to I'll spend a few extra bucks and get the pretty one. Hey, worst case, if you don't like it, you'll double your money because people are nuts that way. So, yeah, it's kind of strange if you get the right game in the right time and people are still willing to pay, yeah, extra over and above just to get hold of it. But that's the wonder about the board game stuff is that it's like I have listed the same game on probably three or four separate occasions for sale. Uh-huh. And then on the fourth time, the person has almost bitten my hand off to say, please, you know, they've sent a message, say, I'm going to send you a message about this. And they've sent a message and go, please, please, I, I, I'm, I'm going to pay you first thing tomorrow. Please make sure that nobody else kind of buys this game. And you're still like, it's like, why, why do you want? Okay. And it's like, that's fine. You can have it because I, you know, I've tried to sell this like four times now and nobody was interested in it. But if you want it, it's kind of all, it's kind of all, all kind of yours. Yeah. Um, what made you decide to to set up the channel? I mean, what? I mean, was it something to do with work? Did you say, well, I've got the equipment now anyway, so, <laughs> you know, shall we just sit and put, go on the camera and see what we can kind of do and muck about with it kind of thing? So I, I've always enjoyed participating in hobbies in weird ways. Um, like whenever mm. I, I'm one of those guys, if, I want, if I'm starting something new, um, photography several, like 10 years ago now was when it was new to me. It's like, A, go look at um, podcasts um, mm. about the thing you like, buy books. And, you know, I, I avoid YouTube just because there there's no way to disseminate quality on that. Yeah. So, you know, it's good for tips and tricks. And if you're you have specific needs and questions, but until you find someone, it's not impossible to actually find information that's going to help, right? Um, so with that, I kind of thought I wanted to do something in the board game space pretty much from the beginning. But the problem was, was that everything that I came up with was done by somebody else. I mean, like I wanted to do um, like a draft beer and board games. Oh, there's a podcast doing that. Oh, I wanted yeah. to do whiskey. Oh, there's another podcast doing that. And uh, so I just kind of a lot of non-starters and I started to realize playing games to review or to discuss um, wasn't really in the cards. I'm not one to go to my meetups and say, we need to play this. I need to review it. I I don't have a group that would really deal with that very well. Um, yeah. And nobody in that group really wants to help. Um, so they don't really want they don't want to participate in. <laughs> right. Like they're they're like. They don't even care that I have like a show or do anything like they really don't. They're like, oh, that's nice, you know, but it's they they don't have any caring on that front. So, you know, after a time, uh, I went to a Gen Con and I ran into uh, Gary Pope and, you know, he seemed like a nice enough guy. We got along. We talked a lot about cameras and film. Yeah. And then um, the next year or later that year at the first PAX U, we ran into each other again and we were chatting a little bit. Um, and again, we got along and I'm like, Hey, here's somebody else in the board game industry who can make stuff happen. And yeah. he already has a channel. So he knows he has knowledge I need, right? Like Joe right. just going out and doing this, can't do anything. Yeah. And uh, next thing you know, in December, I kind of had an idea to do a 
late night talk show, but centered around board games. And I'm like, well, what if we did it? And we kind of did it initially. The idea was to be very space ghost and irreverent and things like that. Um, a little Saturday Night Live thrown in, mm-hmm. um, but likability of uh, Jimmy Fallon was kind of the original concept mm-hmm. um, with maybe some skits and things. Who knew? Like we had no idea. And, you know, later on, and uh, I think it was February, we started actually recording. We spent about three months building the program, the sets, the technology, um, getting our format, figuring it all out. Uh, spent a lot of time on the back end. And then next thing you know, we're like, we launched the show and we're like, we're going to ask people to be on. And I met a few people through the business at, you know, the conventions and stuff. And they came on the show and it's, uh, it started running and it, it ended up being an interview show, but in this late night format, which nobody else had done. Mm -hmm. It's its own voice. It's very unique. And I absolutely love doing it. Like I, I still get butterflies every time I have a big guest on and it's a blast. I I mean, interviewing is a lot more fun, I think, than just sitting there talking about a game I just played, right? Yeah, I kind of, I don't know. I kind of, I'm at the point now where I'm more interested in the people than I'm speaking to than suddenly sometimes like the game. Uh-huh. Because there's so many games out there, I find I embarrass myself by the actual lack of gaming that I do. And I'm always amazed about these number of people that kind of continually go out and say, you know, oh, we played this game this weekend, this game, and this game, and this game, and this game. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there going, okay, that's cool. But then, yeah, I'm just nosy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I generally just have a conversation. I mean, do you, do you, how much do you script stuff? And how much do you not? How much do you not script stuff? And how much do you script stuff to make it not sound scripted? So I don't script it at all. Um, there is there is zero scripting involved in the show, and it might be part of the reason Gary ended up leaving because he left around episode twelve, mm. uh, and I had to go source another sidekick, which I found somebody who was local who plays. The, the role of bartender Dan, who kind of works with our theme, you know, I was looking for like the, you know, the, the sidekick and, you know, musical guy or whatever. And he came up and it, he ended up being a great fit for the show. But in the end, um, I, I tried to do research on the person um, and I might have a few notes um, on a card that I'm using in the show, but usually they are bullet points. They are like, yeah. you know, talk about this, ask about that. This came up during research. Like if there's five bullet points on there, I'm probably exaggerating because <laughs> I, I think the best, the best thing I can do is just have knowledge and kind of go in it because I really, I'm not here. I'm look, Ben Maddox is a lovely guy, but he's doing the definitive end of life. This goes in your time capsule kind of interview. Yeah. That's really not what I'm shooting for. I'm shooting for a very casual, want to get to know you outside of all of your work and how that impacts your life in a more casual kind of view, right? Like if you want to pimp your movie, great, we'll talk about it. Yeah. But ultimately, it's really just about the person and you know their, their stuff, not their every motivation they've ever had and very deep and loquacious as, you know, Ben is, he's amazing. And I could, I could never hope to do that, but you know, I'm not trying to, I'm just kind of trying to be an ambassador. Right. 
Yeah, I think um, the I want when people listen to the show, I want them to listen to the show which was your show. So when people listen back to this, I want them mm-hmm. thinking, well, that was the that was the Chris Whitpan we're not wizards chat. Right. I don't want it to be this is me interviewing somebody else. I think that the the style and the substance and the direction that we go in the show entirely depends on the guest, which is why I try and play it quite loose. If somebody wants to be quite serious and get into kind of like a an ethical debate about, you know, <laughs> chimpanzees and, you know, things like that, then that's fine. If somebody just wants to spend kind of like 10 minutes talking absolute nonsense and just having a general laugh, then that's completely fine as well, which is, I don't know how that comes across, if there's a consistency or if there's a non-consistency, because um, I kind of I kind of know there's bigger and better people than me and I used to get really kind of hit up about what people thought. And now I'm thinking, well, you're not playing to a live audience. You're playing to people that are downloading it. And out of those people that are downloading it, you don't actually know how many people are staying till the end right. or how many people are checking out and stuff like that. So I kind of, it's not that I don't care. I totally care. <laughs> but also I'm at the point where it's not a huge, massive, important thing. I well, you, I think you've done it enough, right? Because you reach a point where they're going to trust that we are taking the the point of the every person interviewing these people from the industry, right? We are mm. we're Joe and Mary sitting on a couch, want to know about you know Rob Davio. Well, I'm going to ask him questions that they want to know. I'm not going to ask him hard hitting questions about you know, life and morality of, you know, why on earth did you bring us legacy games? You know, I'm that's, Mm. that's not it. Right. Mm. And I think people know that. And they know that the show doesn't take itself seriously. Um, you know, cause I don't take myself seriously. I'm willing to laugh at myself. The running joke is how many games I lose that I play with guests. It's horrible. I'm absolutely (laughs) dreadful at games. I just get to show it on national YouTube every other week. (laughs) But you know, that's just it. I hope that my voice represents what, you know, 12 years ago me would have wanted to know just as well as me right now. And I think you kind of do a very similar thing, but your your net is way bigger because you deal with, you know, a lot more fresh new people. So you really it's hard to research somebody who's just launching a Kickstarter for the first time or is just kind of breaking in to the business and haven't really established their voices yet. So I find that to be more challenging because you don't have a lot of material to go on either. Yeah, I have. It's kind of strange because I think that's why I try and focus on the individual mm-hmm. because everybody has a story. If they've, if they've developed a game, they've not, they weren't, they're not Solomon Grundy. They weren't born on a Monday you know, developed a game on Tuesday, right. you know, kind of went on the Kickstarter or, on, or, you know, on Wednesday, you know, started marketing on Thursday kind of thing. You know, a lot of these people have their life stories and, and the reason I find out about, like, your backstory and kind of like the cuisine world was mm-hmm. because that is in many ways defines you as, as a person and the type of person that you are and also, you know, how meticulous you're going to be when you're doing stuff and things like that. And I think that sometimes, and, and some of the fun, funniest 
conversations that I've had and some of the most entertaining episodes for me personally aren't necessarily the big game, big names because they've a- they've answered all the questions before. Right. It's like watching Samuel Jackson doing the tour around, kind of <laughs> like you know when he's doing the Marvel tour. You know, and he gets asked the same old five questions about, you know, what's it like being Nick Fury? What's it like to, you know, being Quentin Tarantino's kind of best friend kind of thing? Right. You know, would you like to do something else? Go and tell us what it was like being in Pulp Fiction. And I, sometimes I think it's like, um, I'd like to, there, there obviously there's, there's still big names out there I'd love to, to chat to. Am I actively chasing some people? Kind of, yes. Mm-hmm. But I'm very lucky. I am very, very lucky. I am the luckiest person in the world. I, you know, I have, you know, I, you know, I took like, kind of like asked Jamie Stegmaier to come on the show when we were like about, you know, a tenth of the size of what we are now. Right. And he just said, yeah, and I'll come on. And it was the same with John Gilmore. And they kind of got us there because I was incredibly lucky at the time. So I don't know. It's yeah. all good fun. No, Jamie was uh, Jamie was on ours as well. You know, episode nine, and it it was just like, you know, it it's the wonderful approachability of pretty much everybody in the business. Like I, I think I've been turned. I can count on one hand how many people who have actually said no, I don't want to do it, and most of it's because of either time or yeah, uh, they're shy and don't want to do video, right? Even yeah. though they might do video. They might pre-record it, have control, and they don't want to give up that control because they're they're paranoid, you know, whatever it is. Um, but they're usually the only reasons why people don't want to be on other people's stuff. It's very it's awesome that way because it makes somebody who wants to break into this, mm-hmm. um, you know, it gives us a little more like wow, like I almost wish I would have waited for Jamie now, <laughs> you yeah. know, because I'm like I've gotten so much better. I've gotten so much better than that episode, unfortunately. But yeah, but I wouldn't have got other people if exactly. Jamie hadn't come on. You know, exactly. Jamie. You know, Jamie is one of these guys. He's he is, you know, and you're like, I want you to be horrible, Jamie. I want you to be. You know, f- everybody finds out that you're the kind of guy that you know. You have a kitten liquidizer in your kitchen, which has got a label <laughs> and you've got a schedule. You know, that's yeah. what I want to video. You know, he's not that. You know, I for, I for, I for a long time, and I've chickened out of doing this, of actually doing a sketch of Stephen Bonacore speaking to Jamie Stegmeyer about doing some kind of legacy game, you know, <laughs> together. And you've just got Stephen Bonacore just shouting at the screen because he doesn't know if Jamie if Jamie's screen is frozen because he's just standing there kind of smiling <laughs> and looking happy, that kind of thing. I'm not going to do it here, but I have been practicing in the car my Stephen Bonacore voice and you know him arguing with his design team about the next game that they're going to be doing. You know, I'm basically saying you know he can never ever sell this game in the UK because we just can't do terraforming Uranus. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know why, but apparently I have no, I, you know, I have no idea, you know. Barbara, get him on the phone. Um. Anyway, but yeah. So there's all these. There's whole. There's. But then again, it comes down to time. And are you? Are are you? Are you ever likely to change the format? Do you have to have a certain amount of pig-headedness about saying, 
I'm going to continue to do what I'm continuing to do <laughs> and then let the audience kind of find me? Or do you kind of have, ever kind of have kind of doubts and say, ah, this is, this is rubbish, we've got to scrap everything and do it and kind of do it again kind of thing? So, well, there's there's a couple hidden bombs in there. The um, So I did actually change the format at the beginning of 2019. Hmm. So it used to be um, an interview and a game, and we kind of mixed it together and released it as a whole show. And they started mm-hmm. to get long, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially once Gary stopped editing and I started editing. Um, it's very hard to edit yourself, I have to say. Um, and uh, you think everything's gold, so you leave it in. And next thing you know, it's like an hour and 40 minutes long. And I'm like, nobody's watching an hour and 40 yeah. minutes of this. They yeah. absolutely are not. Um, so I did a little, did a little grass polling, a little research, and um, also I was doing a show a week, um, which I know to you that doesn't sound like a big deal, but you know, two hours of recording, two and a half it's part three time, hours. Chris, it's part time, <laughs> four hours of video editing, like it's it, it's a lot, and I ended up saying, you know what, let's break the show into two parts. Let's go with the interview and then let's break out the game separately and Mm. let's start to try and I don't want to say seek sponsorship because that's really not what I'm doing. I'm trying to find a game that plays on air and then maybe a giveaway, whether it's from a guest or something else to kind of give something back to the viewers. So we kind of broke it up. So now I'm doing half the amount of work, um, which helps a lot and it allows me to really kind of focus on quality improvements. But you're right. I... Do I see this changing? No, I, I really don't because I, I love the longer form interview. One of the people who I really try to model my interview style on is Chris Hardwick. Um, mm. You know, just very kind of kind of like you, just very conversational, just kind of get into it, not really jump, you know, like, okay, you're here, let's start recording, go. Um, but to try to ease the guest into it, make them comfortable, and then kind of go from there and just kind of see where the conversation goes. Um, and I don't feel that I can do that well in under an hour. So it's, you know, usually 40 minutes to an hour, and then the game takes however long the game takes. But usually mm-hmm. the game's funny because I'm so bad and lose horribly. And, you know, like I played a drawing game with Quanchai Moria. That was pretty funny. Um, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> you would have lost. I did. I did. It wasn't even a game You'd where art lost. mattered. We just, we just played Second Chance, and I told him to color in the bricks pretty, and we'll give it away as a prize. And he, yeah, he just showed that he's he's an that artist, absolutely. and I'm a kid with crayons. <laughs> are you um, are you tempted to go into other media? Then I mean, are you tempted to because there is. There is the temptation when you are kind of making stuff for other people mm. to consume on a media-based level, because I'm not trying to use the phrase content creator. <laughs> but is there a temptation to then go, well, let's do lots of photographs on Instagram and let's start writing up tons of stuff on the blog and let's start doing, you know, are you tempted, are you just like, are you just saying, no, this is this is what we're doing. This is what I want to get into. This is what I want to be known for. Because if I start writing, people are going to realize I can't write. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they'll they'll see all the typos. Um, I am 
like it's actually just came up on my yearly review at work because I do training materials that I'm like, man, you, you got to work on being detail focused. I'm like, I'm more of a rush, get it done and edit later. And unfortunately, yeah. my boss <laughs> doesn't love that. But no, so writing will not happen. I've tried a few times and I might do a project here and there. Um, you know, I've written up things um, on BGD and stuff in the past, but it's never anything that that felt like that's not where my creativity ends up going out. Does that make sense? Mm. Like that's not, yeah. it's an expression. Sure. But it's not the one that clicks for me. The um, Instagram, I, I would like to be better. And it's kind of always the new year's resolution to, you know, when I'm playing games, I should photograph them more, do photographs of the set more, you know, try to get a little more engaged. Um, but it just doesn't really – I don't know. The, I think it's the format of Instagram doesn't really speak to me. Um, but then again, I would have said the exact same thing about Twitter a year and a half ago. And yeah. I absolutely hated it. And now it's the single main way I talk to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and Facebook's actually fallen away because I'm kind of tired of the uh, – the curated, um, ad laden, seeing the same five posts and, you know, political vitriol that just is my Facebook feed. So I have no desire to go on Facebook anymore. And so that really just leaves like Twitter. And then I try to participate in Slack channels, but I, I, I'm an old guy. I don't, I don't know how Slack works. I look at it and it just confuses me, but I'm like, I'll keep trying. Maybe I'll get better. <laughs> yeah, it's the whole thing now, and people are going to, you know, they do a Patreon, they go, come and join our Discord channel. And I'm just like, yeah. I I can't, I can't do, I, I wouldn't do that. There's two sides of things, okay? The first thing is, I'm not 100% sure how the thing works. Right. And, <laughs> and secondly, what happens if you set up a Discord channel and you get, like, two people, and one yeah. of them is you and the other one is your alt? Exactly. <laughs> kind of thing. You just end up having conversation, just hoping that people kind of come along. I'm kind of, I'm kind of worried about that. You know, we obviously we have people that listen, and I am absolutely a hundred percent grateful for every single person that has ever listened or read or watched any of the stuff that we have ever done. But also, I'm still part of my thing. Is I wouldn't want to be running a Discord channel just in case I went, we've got a Discord channel and nobody... <laughs> nobody showed up. Nobody yeah. showed up. It's like all the hors d'oeuvres are out, everything's there and nobody walks in. It's just I kind am, of... Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's it's tough. I, I try to do it because there's other communities that I think the show would benefit from. So that's kind of where I go. Um, but, you know... I heard it said recently, and I, I forget where, but somebody said they'd rather have four quarters than 100 pennies. Um, and I kind of really feel that way about the people who watch the show that I currently put out. Like the mm. fans I have, um, it, they may not be a lot, but they're they're very engaged. Um, they're very happy. They're very grateful. I'll get a lot of personal messages um, from them. So that's... When it comes back to, you know, you said earlier about what keeps you going, I think that really what keeps it going is it's still fun for me. 
I'm still getting to talk to people that I wouldn't get Mm. to. I'm still getting to have pretty cool conversations um, with some pretty awesome people, yourself included. Um, You know, it's that's that's where the fun is. It's not (laughs) it's not in having a, uh, you know, a 10,000 subscriber base and get a gold YouTube thing on my wall. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's nice and all, but that. That's not life goals here. This, you know, I don't want to have to run a Patreon to, you know, say, hey, give me a job. And then in a year, I'm doing every Kickstarter preview video that's ever been made because that's what you do when you have no money anymore. And I'm like, no, I'm going to, I'm doing this for me. And that, yeah. that's, that's, and I, I think you kind of feel the same way, right? We're just, we're in this to talk about board games with pretty awesome people. Yeah, I have, um, I get people that listen to the show on the show. (laughs) (laughs) You have another one right here. (laughs) You know, on occasion, I'll get, you know, I had like a guy called Pete Waite. He was on the show. (laughs) You know, and Pete is just a guy, he just listens to the show. And it was like, it took a while. Because I've had a lot, I've had a few people on the show that are just guys that have listened to the show. Because they're just equally as fascinating. Right. I like had Henry So, who was on the show, who gave like probably the best 25 minutes of advice regarding running a Kickstarter campaign. Because he's the guy that backs Kickstarter campaigns. There so you go. He was saying about, he was saying about all this kind of fascinating stuff. So it comes down to the kind of the person. Yeah, I still enjoy it. Um, I guess you get to a point where it kind of takes up. You know, it does it take up a, a lot of time? Yes, it can do, but we'll see. I'll probably do one of these things where I just kind of like one day wake up and go, right, that's it, we're done. And just do yep. it. And then just roll back and say, great, we had, you know, three or four excellent years and it's time to go back. And then I, the thing about walking away from this kind of stuff is um, I'm not walking away from anything financial, really. Um, I can just go back to just playing board games. I can still be involved in the hobby, which is pretty cool, you know, which is always quite, kind of quite smart. And, and I think that that's kind of for the, the amateurs of us, right? The people who have not quote unquote gone pro. It's, Mm. it's really about that, right? It's about finding a way to contribute to the hobby. I mean, sure. There are Mm. people who want the pro and that's fine. Then you can, you can have those dreams. I'm not trying to say they're a bad thing, but you know, for everybody else, it's just kind of another way to participate in the hobby because face it, we can't board game, you know, 24 seven, you know, we got wives, board game nights aren't every single night of the week for everybody. It's hard to get in a game. It's hard. You know, I don't, I'm not a guy who's going to sit there and read rule books in my spare time. That's just never going to happen. No. <laughs> you know, so I think it's, it comes from that labor of love and that just that I just, I just want to participate. I don't necessarily care how much people hear me. It's nice when they do, but that's not the goal. No. And back to what you're saying about getting the messages of encouragement and a lot of con, you know, a lot of people making media say this a lot, and it's like, if you like something, go and tell somebody, tell yes. somebody that you like what they're doing. And I, I would again, it's like one of these things you'd rather have. I'd rather wake if I'm having a bad day during the day, 
at work if I'm stressed out to my stressed out to my nines with something that's, that I'm trying to get out of the door and stuff like that for work. There is nothing better in the entire world than having somebody send you a message just to say, I really, really enjoy that episode yeah. or I found that really fun or that was really, really good or I was having a crap day and you managed to kind of make me laugh or I've just found you and I'm listening to your back catalogue. I mean, these all these are all really kind of cool things, which yeah. I think, you know, I think it's, it's, I know you can say, well, when you get a your new Patreon backer and you get their email and they say, oh, they've, and you're like, oh, that's amazing. But the, the message thing is just like really, really cool because it's taking somebody stop their day yeah. to send you that message. And, you know, I think it's important to know that not everybody who watches a thing, partakes in a thing, is ever going to contribute. I mean, I think mm. it's it's below 1%, right? Yeah. Like, you know, people who feel motivated to help you out financially. and mm. But I get – and that's very, very helpful. I never want to discount like, you know, a $1 pledge, you know, anything oh. to help pay the, the basic bills, which mm. frankly, I still don't have covered even, you know – with what I make, you know, quote unquote, but it's, um, it's fine because again, I love it. So I don't have an obligation there, but I get just as much excitement when I see a new Patreon supporter come through. I get more when I see a good comment or I see somebody who has gone out of their way to send me a note, you know, yeah. or has found me and has said that. I think that that is, is, you know, it's payment in kind, you know, if you, if you love something, just say it. You know, you might not have a dollar to give, but you can always say thank you. I yeah. appreciate it. You know, yeah. I love what you do. And yeah. that's that's why we do it, I think, ultimately. Absolutely. 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 Um, thank you very much for coming on. Oh, this has been a blast. I've been uh I've been jonesing about um coming on and catching up. I, I'm one of those people working through the back catalog. Um <laughs> which yeah, well, there, there's a lot of downtime at work. Um, it's, uh, you know, Mike Delisio and, and Matthew Jude and maybe, maybe Dan, um, have always mentioned you in such kind regards. And I'm like, okay, I'll listen. And then I'm like, <laughs> I think I just want to chat with Richard and, you know, I just, I want him to say that he'll be my host. Like, I just don't want him, I, I want him to be my host. Like, you, you kind of make that happen. So I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Where can we find you on the internet webs? So it's really easy. If you just search for Game All Night Show, and I spell night, N-I-T-E, you, you can find me anywhere. Um, YouTube, Instagram, I have a website. Um, pretty much everything is found with that one handle. It's easy. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. What we'll do is we'll make sure we put all of those links in the show notes so that we have got notes to show <laughs> if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to there's a couple of things that you can do you can find us in all different types of faces and spaces and moon landings and everything like that um i don't know why i'm mentioning the moon landings maybe because there's some kind of anniversary there, going there on. might be 
potentially. You know, I think um, I hear they're reopening the set at um, you know, the Area 51 so you can come visit now, right? <laughs> I think that's why 400,000 people are apparently <laughs> rushing to go and see it. There you um, go. You know, this the, the, apparently Stanley Kubrick's releasing finally the director's cut. Oh, good, um, good. which has got a big huge rainbow tunnel um around the <laughs> other side of the moon which they're not showing, you know. <sighs> And uh, prism, Neil, Arm- right? <laughs> Neil Armstrong's wearing high heels. Well, um, I, it's the only way to bounce. He's a little flamboyant, that guy. He's he's pretty he's pretty he, crazy. He's got the Cardi B twerking cut. Yes, there you <laughs> go. It's like he's flag dancing around the pole. Oh wait, he's flossing now. He's flossing. He's, he's fl- actually taking the American flag pole and flossing with it. That's what he's doing. Let's go back live to the studio now, and I do believe that Neil is. <laughs> at least the helmet's coming off. He's, he's leaving hold- Buzz on the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> he's holding up his sign. He's saying this is all a fake. Oh, oh. <laughs> no, Don't ruin anyway. this for me. No, it's okay. Um, <laughs> but you can go to Instagram. You can go to Twitter. You can go to Facebook. You can go to our blog, which is we'renotwizards.blogspot.com, um, where you can check out some of the, the writing that we do. We've put up some um, recent little bits on um, the Cerebria card game, which i believe is coming to Kickstarter soon and we spoke about Wildlands recently um, and Kickstarter we spoke about and funding and we've got all little kind of me just ranting at a cloud like the old man that I am which is <laughs> what we do um, you can go on the Twitter as we said and you can find us there, you can email us um, magic at wearenotwizards.com I am aware of the irony of the email address that's why I picked it Um but you can find us on all the podcast catchers, all the th- places with pod and cast. And, you know, at the beginning, I thought it was a funny joke. And then people are going, well, what about Stitcher and Speaker <laughs> and um, Player FM? You know, um, they don't have. And it's like, all right, you're all very, very clever. I think I might have to change it for something else. But um, <laughs> you can find us there. If you like us a lot. Go into Apple Podcasts and drop us a subscription. If you like us very, very much, tell someone else. And then go to Apple Podcasts and drop us a rating or a review. If you are going to be giving us a rating or a review, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed. But don't give us no stars because it makes us cry or even one star. I don't know. I'm lost. That's give us something in the middle. Five. How many? Why should they give us five stars, Chris? Because we don't want to get big-headed, and we don't no, want to don't. cry, but we're no. just right. We're just in the middle. We're a little bit average. Little just a bit. little bit average. A little bit. But the person who's not been average is a rather wonderful, rather fantastic Chris Whitpin. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, sir. There's only two more things to do. Ah. First thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Chris? Um, I, I, I think in a world I'd like to be, um, but you know, given a man from the U.S., wizards also have bad connotations. So I'm going to say no. I we're not wizards. Never going to be. That's that's a fantastic and strategically <laughs> correct answer. Um, and the other thing to do is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from rather wonderful, rather fantastic Chris. Say goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, Chris. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful. And, you know, it's late. So you might as well just stay up a bit longer. Just a little bit longer.
you know, and uh, get the caffeine in you. Yeah. With like the Coke. Not exactly. the Coke Coke. The no, Coca Cola. You need the you need the extra the extra couple patches too when you go to bed. Yeah. You, open so, the what open the window. Right. Well not if you're on the second floor. That could be a problem. But you know, put a couple Nicorette patches on and see what happens. You know. That's you know, that's all we can say. Yeah, but until the next until the next time my day tripper goodness. Bye. <laughs> Noisy early. He arrives precisely when he means to.